Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. This is our last week together in our five-word series, and um, I thought it'd be interesting just to let you know a little bit about what motivates many of the people uh, that serve at this church as volunteers or as even the paid staff do, and you'll, and you'll see how it kind of makes sense as to why, we're, why we've been doing this series in the first place. You're not going to believe this, but sometimes, sometimes what inspires us is the funerals. Uh, especially those uh, that serve in our care ministry. We're a church, and so we marry and bury. We've been to a lot of church, we've been to a lot of weddings, and we've been to a lot of funerals. And when you do that, you um, you find that they're not all created equal. And so some of our volunteers are uh, they work extra hours and they're in their busy schedules and their commitments to other things, but they're willing to do that because they know that all funerals aren't the same. And our paid staff they. You know, they burned the candle on both ends because they've sat through a lot of, of last words spoken about people. And they, and, they, and they want to do it right. They want to serve other people and, and help them have a good funeral. You know, the most, they, they taste different. They have, a, they have flavors. And the most bitter tasting funeral that you could attend is the one that's one with regret. Um, that, that somebody is being laid to rest and the people... Uh, that knew them and loved them, they could have done more. And um, the, usually the weeping, is, is it almost possesses the grieving because the, the rest of their life they have to live with what could have been, what might have been, and there's nothing they can do with that. And, they, the, and, and it's a tragic thing to happen. And then on the contrast to that, the sweetest, uh, the sweetest tasting ones are the ones where people are without regret about the person that has passed and, and they've, that person has lived a life full, but, but the grieving people, they, they love that person and they, and they knew they chose to love and to be loved and they chose to know and to be known. And when that happens, there's, um, there's a sweetness to the grief, right? Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot, it's, it's, there's more closure. It's, it's good grief. It's good grief. I think that's why um, right, Anne Frank writes this. She says, dead people receive more flowers than living ones because regret is stronger than gratitude. Mm. Wow. I know that, that hurts because it's, it's, I think it touches a nerve because there's nothing you can do at that regret. And so they buy extravagant flowers to try to make up for lost conversations that were thwarted by pride. Eric Erickson is a rather famous psychologist. He's mostly known for the stage of personality development. And in the last stage, the eighth stage, you might know this, but it's the age of retirement. And it's, a, it's when a person is slowing down and they're turning back and they're looking back at their life. And he says there's, base, there's essentially two destinations. One's called ego integrity and one's called ego despair. And a person with ego integrity looks back at his life and he's, he or she has realized, well, they made some choices and they and they had some success and they chose to lean into some of the fears and they're not having to live with regret. And then the one with ego despair, they look back again and it's at the end, there's, there's maybe not enough time to catch up and they found themselves regretful and that person lives with depression and, and remorse. 
Now, I would say most of what we do here is forward thinking. It's not a funeral thing. It's, it's forward thinking. We want everyone that crosses the threshold of our church to experience uh, the fullness of their relationship with God that happens because of their forgiveness they receive in Jesus Christ alone. But we want people to have a supernatural, miraculous experience with the rest of their life, forward thinking, you know, through the power of the Spirit of God in their life, right? Just like only God could do this in your life. That's, that's what motivates us most of the time. But every, you know, sometimes we find ourselves thinking... <laughs> This person that we're investing time in, energy, we want them, we want them to have a good funeral. If, if, if your husband, your wife is the one in the box and you're sitting on one of these front rows, we want you to have done everything you could have done to love them and to be, receive love. That's hard too, to receive love to have known and to have exposed yourself and to be known, to have unzipped your soul and say, I want you to know me, so that you could have a sweet, good grief. That's what we want for you. And that's why we've done our series together, our five words series, is because mo a lot of our happiness or despair is going to come about in, in our commitment to um, the fullness of, of married experiences. Uh, let's, let's, let's try to review. Let's look at this blueprint real quick. This is the last time. You should be able to do this. I'm just a pastor. You're the ministers, and so you're going to have ample opportunity to be able to do this in workplaces or maybe on airplanes or commuters or whatever. So the first word, let's do this together. The first word was leave, right? And then the second word was cleave. Third word was love. Leave, cleave, love. And then what? Leave, cleave, one, right? Leave, cleave, one. And then the fourth word, love and Respect. Today's respect. Let me just do that again. I think I butchered that for you. Thank you. Um, leave, cleave, one, love. Wait. Leave, cleave, one. Boy, this is kind of, it's kind of messing up the point of how simple this is, isn't it? <laughs> kind, of, kind of ruining it. It's as simple a child could do this. Okay, what? Leave, cleave, one, love, respect. Okay, right. Thank you. Okay, so watch how simple it is again in just right, right? You're in good hands. This is your pilot speaking. Um, you're going to need that flotation device after all. Uh, all right. Watch how just in two sentences in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, uh, all five words are here. Look, I've, 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 I've capitalized them for me. Look. All you have to do is memorize these two sentences. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. He will cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 33 says, each husband should, each, each husband, right? You should love your wife as himself, and wife should respect her husband. Two verses, the five words, right? And today we're going to look at respect together. And here's what I want us to understand here. Let me give you my outline so that you can kind of follow logically. We're going to look at the two keys to understanding respect and the power of respect, the two keys to understanding respect. And then we're going to look at um, the two ways that we are failing to show respect most, mostly to our husband or to our wife, which we want to, but we're not doing it. Something's happening to keep us from experiencing uh, of our expression of, of respect towards our mate. And we're going to not just tell you why we don't do that, but 
Today's a great lesson for application. It's an application-driven sermon today. We're going to show how you can overcome those two things, most common things that keep you from doing that, okay? Two keys and then two reasons why you don't do it and how we can start doing it, okay? Two keys to understanding two key truths of respect. Two key truths of respect. One, okay, respect in the Bible, right? Respect in the Bible is not an option, and respect, to give respect in the Bible is a command. It's like one of the disciplines of the faith. And one of those, that word means uh, the actions or the moves of the faith, like praying or being generous. These disciplines are things that you have to learn how to do. They're, sometimes they're not natural to us. And then you have to choose to continue to do them. They very much like are some kind of a sports maneuver where you have to learn how to do it and then you have to practice doing it. You have to choose to. And honestly, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. But respect is one of those things where you, you have to choose. You, you have to, it's a command. Uh, in the Bible, it says that you are to show respect to your parents. You are commanded to show respect for people that are older than you, the elderly. You are commanded to show respect uh, for your husband. You are commanded to show respect, actually, in First Peter, for everyone. To everyone. And the reason is because everyone is in the image of God. And we, we owe that to each other. So we, God commands us to do this. So the first key tr uh, truth to respect is it's not an option. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Okay? So don't waste your freedom on it. Just, just go and do, show respect. Second thing is, is and, and fear this, but also work with it, respect is cyclical. Respect is cyclical. I think there's an inherent need for us to receive respect, to have respect shown to us. And when we, here's what's interesting. It's when we are not shown respect, uh, we do a self-defeating self, um, uh, response by showing disrespect back. And what happens here is, uh, so I'm given disrespect, so I'm going to give you disrespect, so you're going to give more disrespect to me, and then we're going we're gonna to go into this spiral of death. And it's going to continue to get worse and worse. It's, it's vicious and it's debilitating when it comes to relationships. So respect begets respect and disrespect begets disrespect. It's cyclical. It, goes it turns in both directions. It is for good or it is for evil. And so here's how you can apply or understand this truth and how to apply this truth is the first one is... If, we're, if you're in a disrespect cycle, you have to stop it because it doesn't get better on its own. It's gaining momentum, right? Like, like a flywheel, it's going to continue to go faster. And you need to be very afraid of this downward spiral. It gets faster and steeper. If you're in the middle of a conversation with your husband or wife or someone else and, you, and the disrespect is coming, stop it. I mean, just right in the middle of a sentence, stop it. Because it'll feed on itself. There won't be much to show later. But listen, listen, listen. You can use it too. You can, you can use it. Because respect begets respect. And if you look at the difference between happy marriages and great relationships, they've figured out whether they did it or not. They, like, I'm going to respect this person. I'm gonna, they'll respect back and they respect me back and I respect them back. And it grows and grows. It's cyclical, but it's both ways. So on one hand, fear it, be afraid of it, and stop it as soon as you can, as often as you can. But on the other hand, see that it could be the secret maybe to the happiness in your marriage. Leave, cleave, one, love, respect. This is, this is awesome, the power of it. 
Okay? Those are the two key truths to it. Now, look, what we're going to look at now is, okay, what are the two reasons why people don't show respect to one another? How come husbands and wives, men and women, why don't they, why don't they do it? it? So many, we know this. We knew, intuitively know to do it and that we need it. Why don't we? Okay? The first reason is, is because familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. We begin our relationship with our husband or our wife, and it's this fascinating quest, you know, to know them and to enjoy them and to experience, right, who they are. And then, I don't know, the quest is accomplished, I guess. If there's such thing as a seven-year itch, it is probably because uh, there's a loss of wonder. There's, there's a loss... Uh, the mysteries have, of this person have been solved. And now, and in addition to that, life, the routine and familiarity of life, the predictability of life can happen to us. And when that happens, it gives birth to contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And this contempt keeps us from showing, right, respect for one another. It, it, we, oftentimes, when that part of, of the life cycle of a relationship hits, hits we, start, um, we start focusing on the things that bother us. Now we're pinpointing those things we don't like. Uh, Mark Twain, famous right, American author, and he's notable for his love for the mighty Mississippi. It was in many of his books. Uh, it was his great brown God. And he was so fascinated with it that he spent more than a year just studying all the curves and memorizing the currents and find himself delving into the little twists and turns in the inlets, how the tides affected the mighty Mississippi. And what he found was, after studying it and knowing it so well, that his admiration turned to boredom and the, and the, and the river lost its poetry. He he said he literally loved the love out of the river for, his, for that river. Sometimes we feel like that might happen in a marriage. Familiarity breeds contempt. But listen to this, okay? Gratitude breeds respect. Gratefulness has a byproduct, and that's honor, right? Thankfulness. But ingratitude, that, see, that's what happens when we have contempt. We, we're, we become ungrateful uh, towards the person that we're married to because it's just, it's just kind of common. It's, every marriage goes through this stage, and it's a, very, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous stage because uh, routine has given way to, right, or actually intimacy and joy and fun and excitement has given way to predictability and routine. So if familiarity breeds contempt, how do you kill contempt? How do you kill this idea? Well, you have to choose to be grateful. That's how you kill contempt. Again, here we go again. We're just choosing to be grateful. I don't feel grateful. Who cares? Are you wasting your freedom on that? Are you wasting your emotion on whether you're grateful? You choose to be grateful because it's this gratitude um, that will put, put away right, the contempt if you can't give gratitude, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. If you can't give respect, it's a sign of spiritual or even emotional immaturity because, for one thing, it's a command. And, you're, and, you, and you just need to 
do it. And that's, that's part of obeying. You just need to obey. But ingratitude is one of the darker sins. As we've seen, ingratitude is one of the darker sins, like disrespect, because it's cyclical. And it keep, in, uh, dis, ungrateful people are ungrateful for this, and then it feeds on itself, and they become ungrateful for that, and they're just more and more and more and more ungrateful. And, and gratitude, gratefulness, is one of the higher virtues because it's cyclical. Grateful people are grateful for things. Look, look at all the studies. They're just more and more grateful about all things. But gratitude and giving gratitude uh, is, is an obligation. It's not an option. And the, throughout the Bible, it's a sign of a healthy soul, and so God commands us to do it. Um, uh, give praise to the Lord always. Right? Um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. That's Old Testament Psalms. In the in First Thessalonians, be thankful for all circumstances. He's just telling us to do it. Just, just do this. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. But more importantly, again, this gratitude is what kills contempt. And, and when contempt is gone, we can give, we can give uh, respect and honor. Well, how do you do that in a marriage that's gone on for a number of years? Okay, that's, here, I'm going to tell you a little trick. It sounds so campy. It's a little bit too simple, and I'm just really mad that it took me so long to find it. Okay, so listen, here's how you kill contempt. You kill contempt by being grateful. How do you become grateful for something that's kind of normal and routine? Here's what you do. You treat the people that you love the most, the people you value the most, and you treat them like you would a guest or a host. Okay? Just, just treat them like, a little bit like they're a stranger. Treat them like a guest or a host. Watch what happens, okay? Can you imagine going over to someone's house and you're their guest and they're hosting you and they provide, and they worked, you know, a couple hours on providing you a meal, <laughs> right? Can you imagine in your wildest dreams that you wouldn't say, thank you, that's a very nice meal. Okay, if you would say that for someone else that's hosting it, I've, here's, watch this. How about you say that to the person you're married to? Like every time, every time. And you could, you could say like, wow, this food tastes good. Okay, you said that last night. I know, but it's good tonight too. And these are pretty plates. Why would you say these are pretty plates? Because if you were at someone else's house and they had pretty plates, you'd say, these are pretty plates. If you came to someone's house and their yard looked good, you'd say, wow, your yard looks good. So here's what I'm just saying. Just say out loud what you would say to someone that's maybe a stranger or an acquaintance or a friend. You should turn that gratitude towards the person that you love. And watch what happens as gratefulness is a strong virtue because it's cyclical and you guys, are, you guys start giving it back and forth to each other. Gratitude kills contempt. Okay? Thankfulness causes respect to be shown. Okay? Okay, the, number, the first reason why we don't, we're, we don't show respect to our husband and wife is because familiarity breeds contempt. I'm telling you, be grateful. And how do you do that? You just treat them like you would a guest or host. Okay? Here's the second reason why we don't show respect. Okay? It's because we're showing respect the wrong way. Okay? This is... <laughs> Most men and women are so different in the category of this showing and receiving respect, okay? Because men and women, they, they respect different things. If that weren't bad enough, we show respect in different ways. And so it's, it's the perfect, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, miscommunication. 
Like, like, what is happening here? And so sometimes you'll hear over a dinner table with, on a double date, somebody say something like, um, uh, God, I respect, uh, I, yeah, I respect her, but she never gives me credit for it. And then she says, when do you ever show me respect? And so it's, it's like we have a different currency and, and the check is not clearing in each other's accounts. Do you see? So it doesn't count towards towards my value system. So, because you came here on this day and we're having some fun today, I thought I'd share with you, men, five ways you can show respect to a Venetian. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Here, I'm going to help you speak Venetian and, and have Venetian values to show respect to a woman who's from Venus. And ladies, I'll give you five of those men. And ladies, I'll give you five ways to learn a few words from Mars. And we're just going to test drive these things for a few weeks and see if they don't kind of cyclically build on each other, okay? So we'll start with the men, okay? Five, five ways. How husbands should show respect to their wives, okay? Gals, just jump in if you think you're, if this is okay. But number one, he only has eyes for her. Only has eyes for her. When a man does not have a roaming eye, it shows respect for his wife. Because she... She doesn't want to be competing with airbrush supermodels or some stranger walking down the street. She, here's what happens when you don't have a wandering eye. Right? The woman feels safe, adored, honored, and respected. If you have a roaming eye, it does not matter what you say or do. <laughs> because uh, it's that you missed it. This, I think the single best way to show respect for a woman is to, is to just, she owns you. And there's no one else in the whole world to look at. That is, is that respect, gals? Yeah, that's respect. Okay, second one, uh, support God's dreams for her. Report, uh, support God's dreams for her. Sometimes, it's, um, sometimes, I think it's a little bit older generation, but sometimes it can feel like a woman's on kind of just along for the ride and they're pursuing God's dream for the man and she's maybe in the backseat or a co-pilot or something. But you show great respect by showing that Adam and Eve were at the same level of importance and intimacy and value in God's eyes. And they had different roles. That's a different conversation. But God has a dream for her and a man shows honor to, towards her and respects her when he says, you know, God, I want to know what, what you're thinking about her and where she could be and how we could get her there and pursuing her and saying, this is a priority, honey. What do you think God wants to do in your life? What skills do you feel like you, maybe you could learn? When you, dream, when you dream God's dreams, how can I help serve those dreams? That says you're not, you're not you know, you're not just a, a tail that's coming along for this. No, no, you... We're in this together. What are, what's God's dreams for you? Shows tremendous respect. He, three, he helps her around the home. He helps her around the home. Now, this is a classic example of male, female, Mars, Venetian uh, value systems, okay? Because I know I've been told this, but I never look sexier than when I'm pulling a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's where it's shown up for me, okay? And this is, it took me 20 years to figure this out. I'm going to maybe head off some of you guys on this. But I think Melinda's like a lot of women. Before we leave on a trip, she wants the house to be spotlessly clean as though it were going to be raided and videotaped for the world to see by the clean police, okay? 
And I don't, none of this makes sense to me because no one's living in this house while we're gone, but she wants to come home to a super clean house. Okay, so after 20 years of fighting this, I just went along with it. Fine, I'll help get it clean. And then after five more years of that, uh, I've figured out that when she goes off on her own, she likes coming back to a house that's spotlessly clean. So that's a little bit different because when she leaves and I'm home alone, I mean, it's a frat house within minutes. I mean, the furniture's rearranged, everything's in front of the TV set. I got a tub of Bluebell and a stack of war movies, and I'm just going to sit there and wait for her to return. I'll move the trash can from the kitchen into the living room. And I'll call her before she comes because it's a new value of mine, not because it's my value, but because it's hers. When are you coming home, honey? Oh, I'm coming home Tuesday. What time on Tuesday? It's like, well, I don't know. I want to surprise you. If you come home early, you're going to be surprised. Okay? So you need to tell me if the traffic is not what it's supposed to be and you get here sooner. And so what I've done is I have now I, at our house we have vocabulary words. There's Matt clean and then there's Melinda clean. And so when she comes back from trips, I, I try to get to the house to as, as much of Melinda clean as I can. Because that shows respect for her. That's, that's what women from Venus think. And so I want to communicate that. I just want to honor her and respect her. See? Four. So there you go. Do that. Uh, four. Engage in conversation. Engage in conversation. Very common. You'll find this in marriage books. That women need conversation. Like men mean, need sexual intimacy. They need to connect with souls. And so what that means is that when a man chooses, I know this is difficult for most men because we can multitask, that means turn off your phone, put it in a drawer somewhere. It means turn off the television set. It means shut your laptop and look her in the eye and talk about what is going on in your life and how that makes you feel. Tell her the truth. You never lie to your wife. If, oh, that's disrespectful. That ruins it. That's a spiral down, and it's a steep spiral. You never lie. And you never show contempt or denigrate or be dismissive towards like, her feelings or emotions. You're listening in, okay? You're trying to engage in a conversation. When you do that, I know, I know, it's not the Martian way, and it shows it shows you're going, and this is how she's keeping score. This is how she wants to be respected. That's how to do it. Last, the fifth thing is you continue to pursue her. Continue to pursue her. The nature of Martian hunting is the thrill of the hunt and then the kill. That's it. And then you strap it on the roof of your car, you drive it home, and you put it on your wall, and you tell your friends. And that's how, that's how we pursue women so many times. We got this one. She's got the ring on her finger, so we're done. And I'm telling you, that's not how they keep score where she lives. She wants you to continue to pursue her. And here's, honestly, what, what is most difficult in our lives is just fatigue. Sometimes it's familiarity, but oftentimes it's just fatigue, isn't it? And, uh, you know, one of the things I learned earlier, when, mostly through failure, when I was working in the student ministry because it was so physically exhausting, is that I would come home wrung out and I'd have nothing for her and the kids were, you know, tearing the paint off the wall. And so I, I figured out no matter how long my day was and how much energy it was going to take, even emotional energy, I felt like I had this pitcher. I started the day with a pitcher of emotional and physical energy. And when I got to a quarter left, I quit caring around here. 
You know, people would say things like, uh-huh, you're right, yeah, sure, okay. Or something needed to be done, it wasn't going to get done. Or not going to, it's going to get, it won't get done well. Because I had to save that last quarter for her, the really good stuff, the thick stuff, the sappy stuff, the tasty stuff I needed to save for her. That's what it means. It means you pursue her. It means that you put her over your hobbies. Honey, I don't know, is this a good season in our life? Can I get back into the gym or play baseball with my friends? Okay, let's talk about that, right? Because you're more important than my hobbies. You are my priority. In a, bottom, in a single sentence, when a woman feels like she is first and foremost in your life, you're respecting her. That's how you show her honor. Am I right? All right. All right, gals, your turn. Here's how to show respect to my husband. All right? One, be content to live within the family finances. Be content to live within the family financial means. And here's the thing. Men, I think, are designed for the most part to, it's like this need to provide and to protect. And in the context of provision, it's, uh, they, they want you to be, there's no better word than content saying, I'm happy with where we are. Because a man wants to give you more and he's working as hard as he can. And even if there's double income and maybe you're making more than he is, it doesn't matter. His value is still thinking, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. And if, like, maybe look at it like this. If a guy looks at a woman down the street and says, isn't she good looking? It'd be like when you say, hey, wouldn't it be great to be in a bigger house and have better vacation? Sometimes that stabs the heart of a man because he's he's hearing, you're not providing for me the way you would like me to. It's respecting his work ethic when you do that. My father warned me about this when I, you know, I was going in. I told him I was going into ministry, and then it looked like I was going to marry Melinda. And he just said, it's going to crush you going into your vocation that you won't be able to provide for her like you want. And I thought, well, you know, maybe. And it was true. And, I mean, she always had the better car. She always had the better situation. But, it, you know, it's, it, I always wanted her to have more. And I went into an occupation that wasn't known for providing, right? And so I had to, I, fortunately, I married someone that could, could be content within the financial means. She showed respect. It validated my efforts. Huge for guys. Two, prioritize what happens in the bedroom. Let me put it around the other way. What women need for conversation, men need in sexual intimacy. As a Venetian, you don't have to understand this, and you don't even have to like it, <laughs> But it's true. If a, if a man is sexually frustrated, he's going to be emotionally frustrated. And what he wants from you is the feeling of being desired. That gives him honor. That's showing respect. And so initiating some intimacy or responding, you know, in a fun manner, that shows, yes, I am desirable to you. It's an important aspect of his life. It's important. We kind of studied that this summer with Song of Solomon. But... Showing desire shows respect. That's how he's listening. Next, uh, build him up with words. Build him up with words in public and in private. Okay? What you say to him and what you say about him molds him. Okay? It, I know a lot of men play tough, but inside with their wives, what their wives say about them or to them is all the difference in the world. And so when you're in public, you are his cheerleader. You are building him up. You're saying you're the luckiest gal in the world. You're telling other people that, you're, that you love being with him. Never be sarcastic. 
Now, listen, I know there's appropriate times, especially in counseling, you can say everything and, you know, let it all out, that sort of thing. But if you're in public, right, outside of the context of, you know, needing to get to something, what you say to him and what you say about him is showing honor or disrespect, and that spiral is a steep one as well. Fourth, don't mother him. (laughs) Okay, you've probably, if you've been married for more than three years, uh, you probably know that there's a maternal instinct in many women, and, and, uh, and, and men, men hate it. Uh, it's why they leave home. And if you've had an argument that felt like a lightning strike where you said something and he went to like from zero to a thousand going, Wah! okay, that's because you reminded him of his mother. And I don't know if he, if he told you that or not, but you don't want to say anything or sound like anything like his mom. That's the early years, and those are figured out pretty early because of the lightning strikes. Later on, it's about storytelling. So you're on a double date or something, and a man's telling a story, and a man will sacrifice like details and accuracy to get to the point. A woman will give all the details accurately and not even know what she's talking about. <laughs> She'll forget. So when a guy tells a story, a woman mothers by going in and saying, no, 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 it wasn't that, it was this. So, yeah, we were driving down Mopac, we were on our way to a basketball game. No, honey, it was a baseball game. Okay. <laughs> and it must have been rush hour about 4 o'clock because there was so much traffic. Well, actually, honey, there was a wreck and it was more like 1 o'clock. Okay. Okay. Still doesn't matter. Anyway, I got a flat tire. Right. I mean, you've seen this happen. Just to let him tell the story. Just to let him tell the story. Right? Let him tell the story. Five, last, trust in his judgment. Marriage is full of conversations. It's full of mutual submission. It's full of debates back and forth. When a decision is made, just trust him. Just go with it. Okay, life is so lonely and dangerous and scary. And a guy wants to know, are you there? In a nutshell, this is the word for respect. This is the sentence. Do you have his back? That's how you show respect to a man. Are you there with him? You know, are you both going down in this ship together? Yes? Then communicate that, and you'll win, and you'll win big, okay? That's what respect looks like. Let's, let's review respect real quick. Remember the two truths, right? First, it's an obligation, right? It's a command. It's not an option, and you just need, like, a discipline. You, you need to learn how to do it, and then you need to choose to do it. Second, right, remember it's cyclical, and you need to fear the cycle going down and stop as soon as you can, Right? Or you need to take advantage of the cycle going up because respect begets respect. Now, if you're thinking right now that, uh, you know, as soon as my husband or my wife, right, as soon as they start respecting and I'll start respecting, have I got a verse for you? You know, Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7, you know, before you take a speck out of someone else's eye, you should get the plank out of your eye. Now, if you're thinking, look, he's the one with the plank, like I said, this is why Jesus is talking specifically to you. You just qualified for him talking to you. You work on you, okay? You work on you. And you start to think, because what he's really talking about is humility. And all you have to lose by initiating respect is your ego and selfishness. You're not going to miss that anyway. You're not going to miss that. Hey, we have a few minutes left. Let's Let's do a little test, okay? Here's what I want you to do if you're married. And uh, I want you to, like, think about, like, scoring this on a sheet of paper. We'll go through the five words. I'll define them. One is not so good. You need some work on it. Ten is rock star. 
You know, we're doing this. We're, it's working for us right now, okay? If you're single, you can still score this because most of these, you know, for the five words, they're talking about emotional and spiritual wholeness, aren't they? And so you could score this as well. And then tonight, what I'd like you to do later on is compare your test scores and see, you know, if you scored each other the same because that would be important, right? Oh, we got a 50. We got a what? We got three. We had three points in the whole thing. Okay, one, leave. Let's review. Leave. Leave means a mother's or a parent's job is to say goodbye and a child's job is to walk away. How did you score on a one to ten? Have you left your family, like emotionally? Have you? If you're a parent, are you, have you pushed your kids out and they understand there's freedom to be free? How do you score on that? Leave. Second word is cleave. Cleave means, it means cut off, but also to bond. It means to weld, to adhere to. Are you cleaning your surface so that it's easy to stick to? That means dropping baggage, nails, issues of your past by, how do we say, how do we apply it? By applying Bible specific Bible promises and attributes of God to our lives to help heal those wounds. How'd you score? One, one flesh, that meant uh, realizing that sex isn't, it is at least, it is least of all physical. And we're starting to move down this path to understanding it's a form of worship. It's a spiritual event. Okay, that's a fun one to work on over the years. To, to realize that there's more happening here than the, just the physical and emotional. How do you score on that? Okay, love was purposeful, sacrificial, covenant love. Sacrificial means, okay, I'll be the one that has to pay the price for this. And purposeful means I'm going to love you in a way that helps God's spirit conform you to the image of what you are meant to be, the image of his son. Okay, how are you guys doing with that? One to ten. And then last, respect, Okay. Respect means sharing gratitude in your mate's language. Sharing gratitude in your mate's language. It's what honor or respect means. How are you doing there? Okay, let me tell you a story, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, in 2008, I was, or 2009, I was watching the U.S. Open, and I, and I was enamored by the story that was going on there, and actually was, it inspired today's uh, time together, or this whole series. Uh, a young man named Del Patro, he's from Argentina, uh, in 2009, he's playing in the finals, and the commentators were talking about his journey. When he was, in 2008, he was 20 years old and was quitting tennis. He had too many injuries, and he had fallen off uh, the tour, and he was, it was terrible. He was going to quit. And then he realized he was 20 years old. Why quit when you can start over? And so Del Patro, he, he fired his coach. He fired everyone and, and, and said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be new. And he hired a new coach, a new nutritionist, and a, a new physical fitness guy, okay? And then they worked all the, all the time on this guy. In, in mid-2009, he, he played uh, uh, Andy Roddick, and Andy Roddick used to just have fun with him as he beat him up, and Andy Roddick was pummeled uh, by Del Patro, and afterwards, Roddick said, he's a whole new player, which is good for him, but really bad for all of the rest of us. When, he got to the, when Del Patro got to the U.S. Open, he ended up in the finals, and he was the only person to beat Nadal and Federer. The 2009 U.S. Open went four hours, five sets. It's called one of the greatest competitions and, and most thrilling uh, championships in the history of the U.S. Open. 
He won. It, it was, and here's, let me tell you what his coach did. His new coach, his new nutritionist, right? His new you know, physical therapist, right? His new coach got a stool out on the tennis court and a bucket of balls and said, stand at the baseline. And he started throwing them balls just like he had never played a game of tennis in his life. He started all over. He started new. He learned how to hit a forehand. And then he turned him to his side and learned how to hit a backhand. And then an overhead smash, and then a volley, and then a lob. Five strokes. He just relearned five strokes. And I thought, marriage is that way. Five strokes. Does anybody want to start anew? Does it, you're too old to quit. How about instead of quitting, you just start all over again and do it right this time and learn the strokes the way they were meant to be played, right? Leave and cleave and one and love and respect. Friends, five years ago, I would have ended with saying, good luck, God bless you. But we've structured this church so that we don't have to end that way. Would you consider this? Would you consider going to re-engage? It's an amazing ministry. This church, probably the best in the central Texas area for this very thing. If you're in a small group together, why don't you just continue on Monday nights? For a buck and a half, it's an hour and a half from what? 7 to 8.30 on Monday nights. Child care is provided. You could continue with your group or you could go. But you got to get back on the tennis court of marriage and practice the basics. Could you do, would you consider doing that? Would you consider starting over? Or, right? It's never too late. Let me conclude with just praying for us, okay? Here's what I'd like you to do. If you can do this, okay? If your marriage is in a place where you could do it, would you hold the hand of your mate, your husband, your wife? And if you're single, could you point your prayers at people that you know that need to be prayed for? Your mom and dad, maybe, or someone you know, or someone in the church? Let's pray for, for grace, okay? Lord Jesus, we... Um, we know, you want, we know you want more for us. We, we know you want us to have abundant life because you promised we would have an abundant life. And so, Lord, we, we'd ask that you would give us, your spirit would give us a desire for more, that we would be repulsed and even nauseated by superficial things, that we would be convicted of distractions and busyness that keep us from being human. And, Lord, I'd ask that you'd want we would, desire, we would desire to want you, you, to empower us for these five principles of marriage. Lord, I'd ask, God, that your spirit would convict us of sin, of stubbornness. If we've dug ourselves in, Lord, I'd ask that you would break through it or provide enough pain that we would break through it. That we would be humble before our mate. We would be delicate to the soul that we've been covenanted to in a place of restoration. Give us the courage to apologize and a soul that's open to forgive. Lord, would you bless this church with strong, full, deep, meaningful relationships, and especially in marriage. You are glorified when we are fully alive. And Lord, I'd ask that you would give us that full living. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.